Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Greetings and welcome to hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I am scientifically thick because I like beat-em-ups, a bloke told me once in a pub. Whereas I am sucking on the smarty with fun stamped on it, I am Ash Versus, and I'm fairly certain I just confessed to taking E. (laughs) This episode aired on the 27th of September 1994. Wigfield is still top of the pops, but we have a new number one at the top of the box office as Harrison Ford is clear and present danger. Some say the greatest threat to America. These drug cartels represent a clear and present danger to the national security of the United States. Comes from other nations. Some say the greatest threat to America. The course of action I'd suggest is a course of action I can't suggest. Comes from within. We are two minutes to target. Looks like we've got our own little war. Harrison Ford is Jack Ryan. I'm appointing Ryan the acting deputy director intelligence. The finding clearly states that our assistance is limited to supply and advice only. He doesn't know about it, Bobby. No troops, then. No troops. He needs to know nothing going to know nothing. So do you like Tom Clancy? Yes, that Tom Clancy of that Rainbow Six video game. Well, before his books were becoming video games, they were becoming movies. And this was based on his 1989 novel of the same name. It's a sequel to Patriot Games and The Hunt for Red October, all three of which are based on Clancy's character, Jack Ryan, although Harrison Ford only played it in the last two of those. And in fact, this would be the last film to feature Harrison Ford as this character, but it also features James L. Jones. I haven't seen Clear and Present Danger in forever, like absolutely forever. 
of the three films I just mentioned, it's always Hunt for Red October because it's Sean Curry. Mm-hmm. It's the best Russian submarine captain. We've had that film in our timeline as well. Yeah. I mean, I fucking love Hunt for Red October. Not sure about the SNES game, but I really like the film Hunt for Red October because it kind of follows on from, like, Sean Connery playing the best Spaniard ever with a Scottish accent to playing the best Scottish submarine captain ever. And amazing hair in Hunt for Red October. Really amazingly permed white hair. I just had to do a quick Google then because I was trying to work out whether we get one of my favourite Harrison Ford action movies of the 90s in our timeline. And we just about do. We'll get to cover it at some point anyway. I don't know if it's a number one, though. Air Force One is an absolutely banging Harrison Ford action movie of the 90s. Ooh, I I will try and rewatch that one before we get to it because I've not seen Air Force One. Like I've seen Hunt for Red October a lot more recently. Uh, although that's obviously not clear and present danger, but to be honest, but really, I don't really have much of an opinion on clear and present danger because it has been a very long time since since I watched it. it it's it's good. It is yeah, a good no, movie. Good. Yeah, no, it, it it is, and like it's it's on um, now TV at the moment. And whenever my wife and I are scrolling through like the ninety section of there, it's always there, and I always go, ah, clear and present danger. Shall we watch that? And my wife's words are. No, it is two and a half hours. I am not watching a film that is two and a half hours long. Which, you know, it's fair enough. So she won't watch any film that's two and a half hours long, or she won't watch a John McTierman, Jack Ryan film that's two and a half hours long. Yeah, she's quite against films that are about uh, that are two and a half hours long. It's like you know, she's of the opinion, and I think she's quite right in a lot of this. If you can't do it in ninety minutes, you shouldn't be able to do it at all. And uh, you, uh, you, well, you know, like it, it, most films can be done in ninety minutes, and there are a lot of times when you watch a film that's two hours. I go like, that probably could have been ninety minutes. Uh, in fact, I watched the Justice League recently, and I was like, that could have been two hours. It did not need to be four hours three. And I, yeah, I, my, I think my wife's worry is that we're going to watch Clear and Present Danger at two and a half hours and be like, probably could have been done in an hour forty-five. I mean, don't forget, when you're taking that two and a half hours, you are losing a good solid five to ten on credits. Mm, yeah, true. Yeah, opening and closing. Yeah, exactly. And and in that era, you don't need to sit through the closing credits. It's polite, but you're not getting a stinger. Harrison Ford isn't popping up at the end like, you know, Harrison Ford will return in Jack Ryan 3 Electric Boogaloo or whatever. Sean Connery walks in to start the expanded universe. With an eye patch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the Clancy Initiative. But speaking of Hunt for Red October, John McTiernan wanted to make this movie after Hunt for Red October, but the first draft of the script was rejected. He left the project. They went off in favour of Patriot Games, and then time passed. And in 1992, rewrites started on that script of Clear and Present Danger, and Clancy openly criticised those rewrites. And then it was rewritten again. And then at that point, it got its approval and moved into production. And John McTiernan is back on board making the film he'd wanted to make years ago. At first, I thought you were going to use this as a segue into the Wigfield interview. I thought you found and just be like, speaking of Hunt for Red October, I found this interview with Wigfield. That's <laughs> a complete non sequitur. I mean, I could do that. It would probably be about as interesting as what I just rattled off. But <laughs> because it's standard... 200 million at the box office, nothing to be sniffed at. But speaking of absolutely banging stuff, Luke, and that number one song... 
There it is. <laughs> see, see, it was all about timing. I found an interview with Wigfield from 2014 talking about her memories of being the dragon slayer of pop because apparently wet, wet, wet are like King Ghidorah and essentially a dragon. I like that. I like that a lot. It might just be as well because I'm currently watching Game of Thrones. That feels like right up my alley. That sounds like you're a character from Game of Thrones. I mean, you also like Godzilla, so... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But speaking about it at the track's 20th anniversary, she said, I can't believe it. I don't think about it much. It's kind of weird. It's like somebody else's life. She says that she doesn't feel any older than 26 now. I guess if I'd stopped everything and become a mum and stayed at home, it would have been different. But she lives life fast and time seems to fly. Apparently, the song had been around since 1991 and nobody wanted to release it. That sounds about right. It was just part of some demos that had been put down that year. We tried to release it in so many countries, but nobody wanted to pick it up until this very, very tiny record label in Valencia, Spain. Like these two guys had a record store and that was their record label. They picked it up. One of the main DJs on one of the main radio stations in Spain started playing it every Saturday night and it took off from there. Oh, that's cute. I like that a lot. Like just using that as your every Saturday night track. That's a really, really smart move. I, I, I used to do um, uh, local radio uh, on a Saturday morning. I used to host the Saturday Morning Lion on Reading for You. And I opened up every single show with Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting by Elton John. Because it's like a perfect like, da 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 just like get people going and be like, come on, it's time to get out of bed now. Because I was on at like 8 a.m. So it's like, it's time to get out of bed. It's time to get on with the day. And like, we're going to, we'll all just turn Saturday because it's the bloody weekend. So I think that's a really, really nice bit of just like synchronicity of, of using that song. Have I ever told you about my misheard lyric with Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting? You have never, no. When I was very young and I got my first Best of Elton John tape, I think, well, it was actually a bootleg of it from an uncle. But that was one of the tracks on there. I'd also just discovered Star Wars. And when it gets to the bit where Elton's singing, don't give us none of your aggravation, I've had it with your discipline. Mm -hmm. That's not how he sings it. It's more discipline. <laughs> and I thought via the wonky C60 copy that he was actually saying Death Star plan. <laughs> but speaking of mistakes... Apparently, the Didi Nana at the beginning of the song was also mm -hmm. a mistake. Man, I'm on fucking fire with these. It's just as well because we are all over the shop tonight. But people thought it was meant on purpose, but it was just a bad take. And Larry, the producer, put it in the song because he thought it was catchy. Larry was a smart, smart guy. He's right. She still remembers where she was when she found out Saturday night had reached number one in the UK. She says she was driving around going from one gig to another in Portugal and my manager called me up and said, you're going to receive a phone call from the BBC in five minutes, so pick it up. The next morning, she was flown into the UK, got out of the plane and there were like 10 photographers. Even when Saturday night had been a big hit in Spain, I could easily walk around. The guy I was dating at the time was a Spanish DJ and was much more famous than I was. So if we were in a restaurant, people would come up and ask for his autograph and wouldn't even look at me. So that was pretty funny. Of wet, 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 she says she made them dry, dry, dry. <laughs> oh, dear. Although she said they apparently in an interview after being knocked off said they're glad that Wigfield came along. They were tired of being number one. And she was like, yeah, right, whatever. And I'm just oh, yeah. like, that, that does feel like a backhanded compliment of just like, oh, oh, the money. It bores me. Or it could be. Because remember when we had um, uh, Ebenezer Good at number one? And it was number one for so long. They were like, 
this is knackering out all of our other single release plans. So we've got to cap this off at some point now. Wet, wet, wet. Just like we've got more singles that we want to release. Stop, bloody, stop making this one go to number one so we can release something else. I don't know because Ebenezer Good and the Shaman, they they were on the rise. You know, they were a hot young band. Wet, wet, wet. I mean, I mean, you could put that face. Fifteen? What was it like? More than fifteen weeks at number one. It felt like thirty odd by the end of it. All right, all right. Devil's Advocate. What big hits did Wet, Wet, Wet have after that? Uh, I, do you know what? I think at that point they probably could have released any. I mean, I was about to say they probably could have released anything and get to number one again, but I don't think they have a number, another number one again. But maybe it could be hubris. I actually heard a story recently of um, the Fratellis. You know their song, um, What's That Coming Over the Hill? Is It a Monster? Was that the Fratellis? No, but it, I know the song you mean. The, the, yeah, but anyway, the, the, whoever that band is. So they were approached by a, um, a, a mortgage provider like a bank, basically, to use that song in a advert where it'd be, what's that coming over the hill? Is it a mortgage? Is it a mortgage? And they got offered like it was a huge six-figure number each to be able to like license that song. I think it actually might have been seven figures. They all said no, because we were too young to sell out just yet. And unfortunately, that was the only hit song they ever had. And all of them have since said, we probably should have just taken the money. Uh, the band in question that did Monster was called The Automatic. Thank you very much. That's all right. But yeah, hubris. Yeah, exactly. Saturday night was number one for four weeks, so we've still got a little bit longer left of it, I think. And after its four-week run, it gets knocked off the top by Take That, who were on top of the pops at the same time as Wigfield. And she was quite happy with that. She said that apparently they were stood right in front of her on stage and Robbie came over and said hi and we were hanging out in the rooms waiting before we went to go on. They were quite nice. Told her about his Games Master Golden Joystick. Oh, I... I, (laughs) One would believe. But Wakefield also remembers Jason Orange trying to hit on one of her dancers. (laughs) But while the single went on to sell over a million copies, it still streams heavily in the UK. Now, this interview was 2014 and while Spotify was big... It wasn't the monster it is now. It's still streamed 138,000 times a week in the lead up to this anniversary interview that they did for the 20th. Wow, bloody hell. That's pretty good, actually. I mean, yeah, like maybe it is just because it's like it's an easy one to play on a Saturday night. And on that, Wigfield said, I guess it's because it's a unique song, so different from anything else out there. Should I do a remix or a re-release? No, it's a hard song to redo that I wouldn't do a remix because it might end up worse and I think I'd rather do a brand new hit. Is it that unique? Would you say it's a unique of a song? Can you think of any song that sounds like it? I mean, it feels like every pop song, every dance Euro pop song that made it at a number one hit in the 90s sounds a lot like Wigfield Saturday Night. Are you ever going to mistake it for another Euro pop song? Uh, no, but I think you could say that of a lot of Europop songs. Like, I would never um, uh, uh, mistake Sash's En Camouflage for another track. But that does not mean that it is unique in its Europop danceness. Ah, does any other song start with anything like Didi Nana? <laughs> well, that is true. It does not start with an outtake that was put in by the producer. So, unique. <laughs> couple of game releases to talk about because they uh, crop up in games master like challenges but also some chat that we're going to have today top hunter roddy and kathy is released on the neo geo jurassic park gets released on the mega cd barkley shut up and jam is released on the mega drive but a key one for me makes me think of summer holidays in 94 95 and 96 donkey kong 94 is released on the game boy 
a game that instantly makes me think of the Super Game Boy because I think there was a lot of like promotional work around how you can play that version of Donkey Kong on your TV. But man, yeah, like taking my Game Boy on holiday with my parents and spending hours working out the puzzles and stuff in Donkey Kong 94. It is a cracking game. I played it again very recently on my RG351 and it's just, it holds up so, so well. It's an absolutely cracking, cracking game. I genuinely don't remember don't remember playing it. Maybe I should. Maybe I should go check it out. I think you'd really like it. Well, I mean, I've got an RG351 as well. So, so yeah, so I will check that shit out. Yeah, I'd highly, highly recommend it at the top of the charts, which will come as no surprise once we get into this episode of Games Master. Mortal Kombat 2 is still top of the charts, but new entry includes Stunt Racer FX, which we talked about in Series 3 as one of like the big releases from CES. And in a little bit of TV news, the day before this episode aired, ITV airs Gremlins 2, the new batch, the uh, the premiere of that, which again is going to come up in conversation later on in this episode. But perhaps the big bit of news from the world of TV, in two days' time, Chris Evans leaves The Big Breakfast. Hey, don't be sad, don't be sad. I'm very sad. No. Chris is sad in a big way. Do you know why I'm sad? We know, we know, we don't, 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 don't. Why do you think I'm sad? Because you're starting us off into the chain reaction. Don't, don't, don't. And the man going I'm not sad for the reasons you might think I'm sad. I'm not sad because it's my last day. Oh, you're not? What? No, although I miss you both immensely. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sad because on my last day, yeah. we haven't got a guest. That's no, what I'm sad about. There's a reason why. There's a reason. Oh, oh, good we need a guest. Well, maybe what? I won't be that sad then. No, what no, is you it? know the way we've always had a guest and things. Yeah, every well, every day. Every day well, for two years. And today's the last day. Shoulders off. Keep it off. Keep it off. What we thought we'd. Shocking. Who was it immediately followed him? Was it Mark Little? Yep, I just double-checked. You're absolutely right. It was Mark Little that replaced uh, Evans on Mondays and Fridays. So, like, while he does leave The Big Breakfast, he does kind of, like, shorten it down because he was working on Don't Forget Your Toothbrush with Channel 4. A show that I remember the name of very much, but of, like, the the Evans trilogy on Channel 4, it's the one that I remember the least. Oddly, I think it's the one I remembered the most because it was a rarity in that my parents would occasionally, or rather my mum would occasionally watch don't forget your toothbrush. Didn't didn't have much interest in um, TFI Friday, but mm. but did like don't forget your toothbrush. And it was a great concept for a show, game show, entertainment, all that stuff. Bulkner or bust. I mean, hey, if we can find an episode, maybe it's a future candidate. Who knows? That would yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So it was Mark Little that replaced him for a couple of days, and then when he leaves the show entirely, which is this point here, it's Paul Ross that takes over the other days that Mark, that Mark Little doesn't do. It takes two people to do the job of Chris Evans, but Gabby Roslin just troops it out through all five days a week. You just need the one Roslin. Gabby's a pro. Oof. And then apparently uh, Richard Orford replaced Ross around Easter 95 and was quickly dropped in exchange with Keith Chegwin. I don't remember Cheggers doing it, though. I thought Cheggers just did the roving mic bit. 
That's what I thought. Yeah, so he was doing the down your doorstop bit, and apparently after the the Richard fella left, they replaced like him with Keith Chegman. They took him off the roving reporter bit and put him in the presenter's seat. And that's the thing I don't remember. I don't remember him presenting the show. I just remember him being the roving reporter on people's doorsteps. And then it was a sharp, sharp fall to Naked Jungle. So that is everything in the TV world. Have we got anything going on in the magazine? I was just flipping through the news section. I came across a double page advert advertising the 3DO and also the Jaguar, but advertising the Jaguar on a buy now, pay later scheme, which just feels entirely prophetic for the Jaguar. You buy it now and you're going to pay for it later. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. This is, of course, the issue that will see the return of the mighty big purple column. Dominic's back and writing for the magazine. But we're not going to do that this week. We're going to save that for a later week when we've got repeating movies and repeating songs. But what I can say is they're beginning to big up the future entertainment show for the 26th to the 30th of October 1994, where they're saying you will be able to play the Ultra 64... No way! What? At the the Future Entertainment Show? Following on from the huge success of the Future Entertainment Show over the past two years, this year's event is going to be a massive, unmissable occasion. Ultra 64, Nintendo's latest, greatest machine, will be there as a playable coin-op. Oh, right, okay. Right, okay, I'm with you now. But apparently, that in itself, and I'm guessing it's Killer Instinct is enough reason to camp out for one of the much sought-after tickets. But there's much more. There's so much more, Luke. You can play the 3DO. That's pre- I mean, that's pretty cool. Considering how f***ing expensive they are, it'd be quite nice to be able to play one for free for a little bit. You can play on the new CDI. Less good. Or on the Jaguar, Alien vs Predator, because we've got one game and we're going to drive it into the f***ing ground. It comes up so much. Like, I know we joke about it a lot, but it really is the only game they have to... to and, like, Tempest 2000 is right there, and that's a really good game. Well, speaking of Tempest 2000, if you go to the Future Entertainment Show this year, and by this year, I mean 1994, you can meet Jeff Minter. Also, Jez San. Jez San. The man behind Starwing and the Super FX chip. Oh, that's cool. Or even Tim Tucker. No, Games Master Magazine fame. Also apparently ex-bassist with Cactus Rain. And now editor of the country's finest multi-format magazine. Cactus Rain is a very good name for a band. It does sound like a kind of Texas Blues Prince tribute. Either that or it would have been like a... I mean, what I'd imagine it was one of the alternative indie bands in the British uh, like scene in the 1990s. Like an Ocean Colour Scene type thing or a Manson. They would support Ocean Colour Scene on tour. Yes. And depending which side of Mosley Shoals you fall on may actually draw more of a crowd than Ocean Colour Scene. Because yeah. Mosley Shoals was the album that saved that fucking <clears throat> band. Speaking of the 3DO though, there is news that they're getting Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo the definitive game in the Street Fighter 2 series. Won't be the last, though. God, no. (laughs) And also already talking about a plug-in add-on for the 3DO featuring a new chip that is being developed with IBM and Motorola that will be a 64-bit processor. And rather than make it a new machine, they've decided to make it an upgrade card. Ah. But I do actually think that is what eventually became the basis for the abandoned M2 console. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate that they did at least try to make it modular and and an add-on. 
I do wonder, did they see what happened with the 32X and went, nope, yeah. we're just going to do a new console? Yeah, I think at this point, like, the anticipation of the 32X is, like, and actually, like, not even the 32X, the Mega CD. I think they're probably already seeing, because we're a little bit off from the 32X, but the Mega CD sales aren't great. And they probably would have just been stronger had they released it as its own separate console, or developed it as its own separate console. So maybe they are, they are looking at being like, it's, uh, it's, it makes so much sense. And the Mega CD, in theory, should have worked. Probably needed better games, but it should have worked. That yeah, it wasn't actually not the way forward. Nintendo's attitude was the right way forward, which is just release a new console. Which apparently is now a coin-op. Welcome to Games Master, Europe's premier light entertainment song and dance extravaganza with added flames. Tonight, some reviews, tips, challenges and top drawer celebrity guests attempt to bring some goodness and light into these infernal surroundings. Is this opening line of Europe's premier light entertainment song and dance extravaganza a Eurovision reference? Or am I just thinking that because Eurovision has just been on? I think you're just thinking that because Eurovision has just been on because realistically, in the Games Master timeline, Eurovision is is long gone. I just genuinely think they thought, let's get the minions with some top hats and canes. Dom is writing his own dialogue. And it got a chuckle out of me just to see the minions doing the kind of da 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 and then fighting with each other. Oh, yeah. I, I do love the presentation of all of this. These guys are going to give me the mileage for this one, as is Dom, who he may not be that keen on himself in season four. I mean, we heard about it a couple of weeks ago, but I am really, really loving this. I'm loving this dry, pithy, grumpy Dominic Diamond, and he makes me laugh far more than he has any right to in this episode. Well, let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Our first challenge tonight is one I've rather been looking forward to. Our contestants will be playing the new 3DO version of the classic Mega Drive game Road Rash. The objective is simple, to finish first in the Pacific Coast Highways. The power of the 3DO system will mean that our rider will probably find his path littered with rather more obstacles than he's used to. Games Master just said then it's one he's been looking forward to and I've got to be honest so am I like when I saw this was the challenge that was coming up I was really really thrilled by it because I've turned a corner on the 3DO entirely and it was down to that video package we got in series 3 where it was hyping up the 3DO and this was one of the games that it talked about and it has got a kick-ass soundtrack and I was excited to see it in in full glory as a challenge here. And it is fair to say, because this isn't the first time we've had a Road Rash game on Games Master, it definitely looks better than the others. What I love about this is that, and we said this when we were talking about the the piece in Series 3, this is a visual upgrade. This isn't just FIFA on the Mega CD that looks exactly like FIFA does on the Mega Drive. This is genuinely, this is a upgrade to Road Rash on the Mega Drive. Yeah, and they, they decided to go the Mortal Kombat route rather than the uh, fledgling polygon model idea. So 25, 30 minutes of various digitized footage was used for the various riders, uh, the highway patrol motorcycle officers, uh, various bystanders and cars and bits and pieces. And pretty much everyone you see in the game 
is played by a member of the game development team. I, I don't want to put you on the spot here and ask you this. It's only because it just pops into my head then. What do you think has aged better? This style of graphics of the sort of the digitized actors being put into the games or the, 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 the polygon graphics of like Stunt Racer and Virtual Fighter? I don't think it's clear cut. I think there were some cases where the clean polygon models work really, really well. But I also think that the digitized footage, much like traditional hand-drawn sprites, they scale better. Mm. Like if you stretch the original Star Fox up onto a 50-inch Ultra HD television... It looks a little ropey. And also, because of the limitations of the hardware, the frame rate's a little ropey. But the sprite-based games, Mortal Kombat 2, Primal Rage, which we see yeah. later, Primal Rage especially, they look good. They're still fun to play. And yeah, it's much easier to scale them up. So I personally think that uh, 2D and digitized graphics have, if done well, aged better. However, if they're done badly, they look like crap then and they'll look like crap now. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I think I would agree with you on that one, actually. And But it is going to be a case where it is done well, because there are some like digitized games. We actually see them on um, like Kasumi Ninja on the Jaguar. It's got the digitized graphics and it looks like balls. Looks real, real bad. But like, you know, as you mentioned, Primal Rage looks ace. Mortal Kombat 2 looks ace and only gets better as it goes on. I think it's unfair to say like it's a case-by-case basis because I think it's a bit of a cop-out thing on my side. But um, it's aged a lot better than any of the Mega CD games. Like, it's aged better than FMV games. Here for some open-road action, we have Mehmet Osman. Now, Mehmet, if you could be any famous person at all in another life, who would it be? Probably Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs. Why Ryan? The greatest footballer. And great hair. The only thing is that it means you'd have to probably go out with Danny Bear as well. I can't complain with that. No? Sorry, as long as you're not looking for stimulating conversation, I, I suppose. Woof! The Danny <laughs> Bear train continues. It's so funny as well, because when we interviewed Dom, uh, which you've heard a couple of weeks ago, we you brought up the Danny Bear thing, being like, what was it you had against Danny Bear? And all of a sudden he was like, that's right. I did take a lot of shots at Danny Bear. <laughs> it was this like wonderful realization. Like, that was a thing that I did back in the 90s. That's right. I did try and torpedo her career. <laughs> Funny thing. It's in the interview he gave before he came back on Games Master, as we made reference to. And then it appears again here. I'd be amazed if we get to the end of Series 4 and it doesn't crop up again because he did not like Danny Bear in the slightest. Or rather, he didn't like what Danny Bear represented as a host. And it's funny, I was actually reading a, um, uh, a BBC... Well, it was on... It was on um, I'll be honest with you. It was on Ryan Giggs' Wikipedia page. That's where I read this. Apparently, the BBC uh, once said in like, a video package for him that he was the David Beckham before David Beckham. Because like he had the big uh, money deal with Reebok, if you put him on the front cover of a magazine, it would sell because lads wanted to read what Ryan Giggs had to say. And girls bought it because they wanted to put Ryan Giggs's picture up on their wall. And he had the celebrity girlfriend, i.e. Danny Baker. Danny, ba- Danny Bear even, not Danny Baker. Could have been Danny Baker, we don't know. We don't know what his private life is like. But I'll, I'll <laughs> but specifically, they mentioned Danny Bear. There's this conflict in my head as the person that does the first pass edit of, normally, I'd cut something like that out just to make it smooth. But also, the mental image of Danny Baker dating Ryan Giggs, it's potent. I would keep that bit in, because I'm not doing a retake of it, so you're going to have to keep that bit in now. 
Mate, you have no idea of the selection of ums, ahs and yes that I've kept for both of us to bridge those gaps. <laughs> they said that Ryan Giggs was David Beckham before David Beckham. Wouldn't it be more accurate to say that David Beckham was the next Ryan Giggs? Maybe, yeah. I think they were probably saying it because Beckham had just become like a big name. It probably, I bet you the, the, the piece said when David Beckham was at the height of his popularity to be like, let's not forget that Ryan Giggs was David Beckham before David Beckham. Did David Beckham also date Danny Bear? Or Danny Baker. Or Danny Baker. <laughs> or both. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whatever floats your boat, as long as you're not sinking other people's ships. I've got nowhere to go with that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you where we're going. We've got a new format change, Ash, because while we have set up a challenge and we've met our challenger, we're going to read some news out. Yeah, I wasn't sure how we were going to tackle this, whether we'd actually rearrange it to make it slightly easier to follow. But you know what? If the show's going to confuse us, we're going to confuse you. So yes, let's go into some news. First up, Mortal Kombat 2 has smashed all sales records, shifting a quarter of a million copies in just one day, Mortal Friday. That represents a quarter of all video games sold that whole month. Worldwide sales are now over two and a half million and climbing. Not higher than Mr. Acclaim's wallet, however. I mentioned it in the intro to this show, but Mortal Kombat 2 is selling very, very well, selling 1.2 million copies on Mortal Friday, which does not have the same ring to it as Mortal Monday. Uh, but man, yeah, like that's a staggering amount, a quarter of video game sales for that month. Yeah, and sales are over two and a half million copies and climbing, but not climbing higher than Mr. Acclaim's wallet. Because, yeah, they banked on that on all formats because the gore was back, baby. Indeed it was. Yeah, we saw it in last week's challenge. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've probably said all there is to say about Mortal Kombat 2, but I would wager it's not the last time it's going to come up in our conversations. I will say the promo video that is playing in the background while Dom is talking about Mortal Kombat 2, I, I hate to say it, but that actually looks better than the Mortal Kombat movie. Reptile in particular looks so badass. I thought it was a promo for the movie at first. I was about to write down, ah, Mortal Kombat movie until they started talking about Mortal Kombat 2. But yeah, now that I look back on it, it does look better than the movie did. But I suspect they also spent more money per minute on that than they did on Mortal Kombat the movie. They, they probably did a very short shoot, so the costumes, they could be a bit more detailed, a bit more fragile. Same with the makeup, it didn't have to withstand as much. And uh, yeah, it, it looks great. I, I would like to track down a full copy of that promotional video at some point. Just opened at London's Trocadero, a new kind of arcade experience, the Imaginator. You'll be strapped into a moving seat to experience some virtual rides. And if this ride reminds you of Games Master's opening titles, that's because it was created on a silicon graphics machine by the same people, the Belgian company Trix. The only good thing to come out of Belgium ever. I had a look around for the Imaginator arcade at the Trocadero, and I, I couldn't find a whole heck of a lot. But I, I, I think it's very cool, though, that it was done by Trix, who do the introduction for Games Master Series 4, which is a very, very cool intro. Yeah, the redo they did of one of their existing promo films for Games Master was called Devil's Mine Ride. There are actually two or three different versions of that. The first one is the best because while technically the later versions are cleaner and have higher resolution CGI, they get into that shiny kind of plasticky look and it actually looks too clean. The original mine ride is dirty and it mm. feels grimy and dangerous. And it's great because there's a guy at the beginning who's like, Howdy there. 
<laughs> That's right. I'm your tour guide. I reckon you're all ready to take a nice, easy tour of this here old mine. <laughs> oh, they fixed it up real nice and safe for you. <laughs> Excepting you ain't going there. No, you're gonna see my kind of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the lever, points change. You go into the mine ride and you're going through it thinking, yeah, this is like the opening of season four of Games Master. Now, there were a number of different films that went on the Imaginator, and much like you, I couldn't find much about it. But I did find this article from the Wall Street Journal in 1996. You found this as well. I found, I found the same one that basically just dunks on Sega World. <laughs> Holy shit, Mark Yost just hates on Sega World. At the entrance to Sega World, which proclaims itself to be the world's first virtual reality theme park, an array of television screens give visitors a preview of what lies ahead. It concludes with these words flashing across the screens. Try telling your brain it's not real. Four hours later, at the end of my visit, I tried telling my brain that I hadn't paid the $18 admission price. Yeah, he then basically just spends the next five paragraphs dunking on Sega World left, right and centre. And then basically at the end, like being like, if I'm ever in London again, because obviously he's an American journalist, he's never going to go back to Sega World. But he does have this paragraph here where he's like, but what I will do is go to the Trocadero. Yeah, he talks about the building that Sega World was in, formerly a shopping arcade near Piccadilly Circus, but uh, talks about, in addition to Sega World, it housing the Rock Circus, a rock and roll museum and souvenir shop, also Virtual World, the Imaginator, the Virtuality Center, and Hang Glider, all smaller versions of Sega World, trying to cash in on the growing interest in virtual reality. Virtual World and the Imaginator are souped-up versions of IMAX theatres, where you're made to feel like you're actually doing something that you're only watching. The Trocadero also has a Virgin 7-plex cinema, a gaggle of small souvenir shops, and Funland. Yeah, and the only other thing I could find was from um, Eurogamer forums, which we have seen before when talking about Danny Curley, have not been the most fruitful of places to find friendly discourse. And uh, a user called Slippy was asking about what he was trying to say. Like, does anyone remember at the Trocadero, there was this thing and you were in a minecart and you were going down uh, and you were sort of watching along with it. And he says here, just did a quick search on Google, the ride I'm talking about was the Imaginator. Does that ring any bells? Mr. Wolf, another uh, poster replies, yeah, it was And Slippy replies, agreed. The whole thing was You can actually go and find Devil's Mine Ride in its entirety and actually a couple of different quality versions on YouTube. And it's quite fun. Obviously, it loses a lot not being in a big motion ride, but I got quite a chuckle watching it. Also, you'd have heard our lovely new Series 4 theme music a couple of times now, and if you listen very carefully, I have snuck a few sound effect samples into that intro underneath the music. I, I spent way too long mixing our new theme music, and half the work I did, you can't even hear it, but it's there. Finally, we're pleased to announce the arrival of the Games Master Network, especially helpful for people who have no friends. All you need is a PC, a modem, and a phone. Give your modem these commands. Make that coin and phone connection and dial this number. Then you'll be through to the TV net. You can sell or swap games with other Games Master viewers, find out the latest cheats and tips, or just chat with other friends 
I'll be on it for hours. Well, in that case, perhaps you'd be better off dialing in from home. But do get permission from whatever unfortunate individual pays your phone bill. They talk about this a lot over the next few episodes, because this is essentially the next step up from the Games Master Club that we had back in Series 1 and Series 2. This this is this is the internet. This is the Eurogamer forums that we were just talking about there from 2004, only it's here 10 years earlier in 1994. And all you need is a PC, a modem, a phone, and most importantly of all, Luke, no friends. <laughs> Thank God I've got all of those things. I mean, well, you, you, you've got me. Oh, no, I'm talking about 1994, me. Oh, right. No, no, 1994, you were friendless and hopeless, so that's fine. Although I didn't have a modem either, so I was actually, I was, I was shag out of luck, really. Man, that 1994 modem, that's a fun piece of kit where you actually have to put the receiver on top. <laughs> but I do love how they have to give the instructions and then the phone number, and then you'll be through to the TV net where there are classified ads, cheats and tips, or the ability to chat with other friends. But wait, Luke, this is for people that don't have any friends. So technically, you're chatting to other people that don't have any friends, but they are not actually friends themselves. Because if they become friends, you have to stop using the service. If anyone is out there listening, if you used this in 1994, I would love to hear from you and just like to tell us what it was like, what you got out of it. Did it work? Was it any good? Was it a massive load of pants? I would be fascinated to hear what this was like. And most importantly of all, did you get permission from the phone bill payer? Well, it's always important to get that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they got Patrick Moore to say it as the games master, so you know that was shit they wanted to land and not leave themselves legally culpable for. Right, now we're about to play Road Rash on the 3DO, our first ever 3DO challenge on Games Master. That's pretty interesting, isn't it, Simon? Uh, not really. No, oh, well. Right, uh, any tips for a moment on this? Um, yeah, I think there are two ways of approaching Road Rash. You can either race straight through avoiding everybody, or um, if he gets pestered by the police, as he's likely to, uh, he could punch them. Punch the police. Fantasy. Not something, of course, we'd recommend, unless you live in Streatham, of course. <laughs> but back to Road Rash. Um, this is our very first 3DO challenge, which we'd think would be quite exciting. But Simon doesn't think it is. No, Simon gives zero shits <laughs> about 3DO, Road Rash, or possibly even this entire TV show. But Dominic is the second most excited person at this point about seeing the 3DO on Games Master in a challenge. The first probably being me. Yeah, or Trip Hawkins. Uh, do you know what? I was about to say, do you think Trip Hawkins knew this was happening? Of course, Trip Hawkins knew this was happening. He probably flew over just to watch it go out because it was Trip Hawkins. Exactly. They're probably using Trip Hawkins' personal 3DO. Maybe the contestant was actually Trip Hawkins in <laughs> disguise. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty good at the game, so they could very well be. Although he has got a very interesting uh, tactic here. So... Obviously, Simon tells us about how you can beat up people just like you could on the original Road Rash. Including punching the police. Well, yeah, absolutely. But if I've learned anything from Skitchin, Skitchin! You don't do that. Although you do get a buck for every time you skitch onto the back of it for every second. Stand it too long and you're on your way to jail. Although Dom does give the proviso that you can punch the police if you live in Streatham. Sound advice, I guess. I mean, I'm looking in the rough direction of Streatham right now and... Mm, yeah... Maybe. It is funny, we were just saying then, we had Games Master basically like, you need to ask the phone bill payer before you use this service as a way to be like, we are not being uh, responsible for anything that happens here. We cut to Dominic Diamond, who was basically saying like, oh, if you live in Stretton, you can go punch a copper and it's fine because you live in Stretton. He's a cheeky chappy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so they, they talk about how you can do sort of like the punches and kicks, but 
in a challenge like this, it's probably best just to focus on the race or at the very least, make sure you can get a bit of a lead on people before you start getting into the, the scrapping and stuff. Our man here sacks off all that advice. And as the second he sees someone, he's just like, bop, going to go for a punch. This is exactly what happened on the Road Rash 2 challenge back in Series 2. Yeah, he's there for two reasons, to race bikes and punch people in the face. And apparently he's all out of bike racing because he just wants to punch people in the face. It works out for him a little bit because he kind of like gets up towards eighth position and then takes a turn very, very awkwardly and hits a tree. He hits a tree right after Simon says, if he keeps this up, he should do okay. <laughs> it's literally the Games Master equivalent of this will be the best Christmas Wolford has ever had. And I, that puts him back down to 12th. So he has now got a, a heck of a race on his hands here to get into that first position. And it's at this point here, he stops doing the punching because he's now realized, whoa, I'm back in 12th and about a quarter of the way through the race, I have got to knuckle down here now. Like he gets to the point where the copper is around and Dominic's like, oh, there's the police there. And he's like, nope, I'm going straight past these. I am not dicking around here. I need to get that first place and win this joystick. He's not a Stratton boy. He really isn't. And he does. And he climbs and he climbs and he climbs. But we've got this wonderful, like, uh, uh, not argument, but like a difference of opinion from Dominic and Simon. No, he could still do it, Simon. He's been gone for 2.2, 2.3 miles. That's not too bad. Yeah, I, I don't really fancy his chances, to be honest with you. I think he's got a long way to go. Still in sixth. Um, he's got a lot of work to do to get to And it's slow. And it's sixth. He's not far from the end. He's up to fourth. Come on! Takes second. And then on the last straight, boom, takes first. We do get a brief aside where Dominic gets obsessed, briefly, with the fact that someone is spelling their name Sydney with a C. I mean, yeah, I, it, it's certainly different. But, like, you know, there's characters in this game called, like, Beans and like, Dill or something. It might not be Sydney. It could be Kidney. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chidney. They really were just making this shit up as they went along with this game. Uh, I mean, it's all the same person on a bike anyway. They just palette swapped it. But it's, it's very much Dominic Diamond, you know, when we were interviewing him a couple of weeks back, being that like they're moving this show away from being about the challenges and it being about the news and the features and the reviews. So the challenges really here are just sort of like they're there because that's what we do on this show. But that means the job of the commentary is not really to do commentary about the challenge or the gaming technique. It is just to be like, what funny thing can I see on screen? Or what is something I can see on screen that I can try and make a joke out of? And, you know, sometimes they land, sometimes they don't. At the moment, I'm chuckling quite a bit at this episode. Yeah. But yeah, as he approaches that final hill, boom, first place. It's tight. Yeah, it's very tight. Really happy to see because this game does look great. It does move great. It's got way more inclines and declines, and they certainly look more dramatic than the previous versions. You've got buildings popping up. You've got a lot more cars, a lot more bikes, a lot more trees, as we see. It it looks like a fun game. Road Rash looks fun in this. Yeah, it looks really, really good. It's a great advert for not just Road Rash, but for the 3DO in general. Now, mate, a bit of a shaky start there. Uh, I have to admit, but but you came through in the end. What were some of the difficult bits in it? Early on, men's too sharp. And I saw at, at one point you managed to miss actually all the cars, but you actually smacked into a tree. Was it a bit sore? A bit of nasty chafing, yeah. probably. Okay, well, uh, you'll be able to live with your chafing, though, now, Mehmet, because you can console and soothe yourself with 
The Games Master Gordon Joystick. I mean, not such a great advert for the 3DO in general is the post-match. Dom asks Mehmet, saying, you know, what the difficult bits were. And Mehmet just kind of goes Shatnerian in his delivery of just like, early on, Ben's too sharp. <laughs> I was going to say, that is a direct quote. Early on, Ben's too sharp. Dom asks if colliding with the tree caused any nasty chafing, which Mehmet says, yes, not really understanding the question. Yeah. Like, you know, we talked last week about how the challenges on this show now get that they get the mission. They understand what they're going on here to do. But Mehmet, like, all of a sudden just sort of freezes up. Because he was quite good at the start of this, you know, talking about, well, I mean, he just says Ryan Giggs, I'd imagine because it was the first name that came to his head. But he is here on a mission, and that mission is do the challenge. It is not to do the challenge and the banter with Dominic. So it is just like, I'm I'm just not going to say anything. Can I have my joystick and go home now, please? Now, I do want to point out, we recorded episode one before we spoke with Dom. And now I find myself, after that talk with Dom, going... Are they from Dom's mum's performing arts school or not? I'm not sure about this guy. I don't think he was. He was a little bit too good at the game and a little bit too bad on the mic. I would say so, yeah. I would say if if someone comes on and is incredibly confident with what they're doing on the on the the interview side of things then yeah if this is an acting performance it's an incredibly natural acting performance of someone who is incredibly shy yeah maybe he went full method maybe he's actually the star pupil <laughs> he's that good first up it's strange that ea should choose to represent the seven and a half foot shaquille o'neal with a two inch sprite but let's not split hairs what shaq fu really like the characters are very fluid and they look like real fighters and the moves they use look more realistic than any game I've seen. There is a payoff in that the characters are slightly unresponsive and slow and also they're so small. Games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat that feature big sprites are possibly a bit more playable because it's actually easier to see what's going on and you can be more accurate with the blows you strike. Basically you've got to have the gameplay there, it's no good having a game that just looks great. It's got to play great as well. I'd bet slam dunk this one in the bin if I were you. Oh, you want to talk about an absolute belter to kick us off here when like you know the word notoriety comes to mind from the 16-bit era friggin shack foo on the mega drive it's so interesting because they're not like that sour on it you know they said like the sprites are really nice you know they're, they're, the fights are, are fluid and this that and the other like tim even says it's more realistic than most other fighting games, which is a, a weird odd thing to say when you look at what the, the plot of the game is. And it's Adrian who's bang on the money here when he's like, you've got to have the gameplay. With that said, 65% is not exactly the slam dunk this in the bin, uh, as Adrian puts it. Now, I've actually got a copy of Shaq Fu. In fact, if you heard the cartridge being ejected on one of our earlier theme music, that was a copy of Shaq Fu being ejected from my Super Nintendo. I remember it being okay. It does move really nicely. Like the actual quality of animation is really high. There's a lot of frames to each move, but that's where the sluggish controls come from because the more frames you have to get through, the more difficult it is to properly interrupt those frames. Fighting games are a balance between looking good, moving good, and actually having solid playability. And that's where this game falls down. 
they're reviewing the Mega Drive version here. The Mega Drive version is technically the better version. Yeah, more characters, more stages. More stages, longer story mode. Interestingly, the only home computer that it got ported to was the Commodore Amiga, which uses the same code as the Mega Drive version to the point where the text licensed by Sega Enterprises still appears on the credit screen. I mean, you said like it doesn't really work as a fighting game because like it's a fine balance to work. And it's that's basically because Delphine Software, who made the game, had never made a fighting game before. Like they brought Shaq in to make a basketball game. And Shaq came in and said, well, do you know what game I really like at the moment? Mortal Kombat. Can you put me in Mortal Kombat? And they were like, "Uh, yeah, I guess we can. So this is what we ended up with. Originally, like it was designed to just be a rap album because his second album is called Shaq Fu. And it was going to be a rap album. It's got a lot of Wu-Tang members on it. I say a lot. It's got Method Man and RZA from Wu-Tang on it. And Red Man is on the album and produces a couple of the tracks. And then it was like, oh, maybe we'll do a video game as well. Yeah, so like Delphine Software, well, we've got to make a, a fighting game, which we don't know how to do. What we do know how to do, though, is rotoscoping techniques that we did on Flashback. So we'll just make it look as pretty as possible. And then hopefully the, the fighting elements will come in after that. I mean, it did look pretty. Yeah. Put this way, there are worse fighting games out there on the snares and the Mega Drive. Clay Fighter, I'm looking at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's not the worst. And the fact that this has been sort of like, you know, it's lauded as one of the worst games of the 16-bit era. At the time, it was not that, that was not the case. This got pretty positive reviews, mostly across the board. You know, GamePro praised it, EGM gave it 6 out of 10, Games Master Magazine gave it 81 on the Mega Drive, 83 on the SNES, Mean Machine Sega, bloody meat, like who were proper mean about a lot of things, gave it 79%. Yeah, they're not stunning scores. But they're not bad scores. They're not like this is the worst game of the 16-bit era. It was only until a couple of years later that it's sort of like some people start to reevaluate it. Like Nintendo Power, who gave it a pretty good review when it came out in 97, then said, oh, actually, it's the third worst game of all time. So it, like, it was this sort of like sudden shift where it was like when it came out, it was good. And then a couple of years later, with a bit of hindsight, people were like, Actually, maybe this wasn't as good as we thought it could be. I mean, they were clearly optimistic enough they did start work on a sequel, which they then abandoned because, you know, it did get some positive reviews. It also got some negative press and it didn't sell tremendously well. But eventually there was a sequel, Shaq Fu, A Legendary Born, released in 2018. And as far as I know, it's pretty sh- yeah, I haven't heard great things about it either. Like, Shaq has been very upfront about how, you know, a lot of people don't like Shaq Fu, and it is, you know, quote-unquote, the worst game ever made, this and the other. When he announced the game, um, he did this, like, in his press release, uh, said, I'll admit it, Shaq Fu was a horrible game. I'm a huge fan of video games, and I want to have my name associated with a Shaq Fu game that I'm proud of and would like to play. But I don't believe that the remake is all that great either. But yeah, the, the, the rap album did all right, though. That he actually, yeah. you know, there was released in conjunction with this. It charted 13 in the Billboard's uh, Top 100 uh, R&B rap charts. It did all right. And actually, if you pre-ordered the game, you got an exclusive track that was not released on that album called Stand and Deliver. You want to rumble with me, tumble with me. I float like a cloud, sing like jungle beat. Bad boy, so what you gonna do? What you gonna do when I come for you? Nothing. It's not an Adam Ant cover, is it? 
Unfortunately, it's not an Adamant cover, no. And also, it's not a particularly great song. Next up, Shock Horror, big name license in box standard platform game. Hooray! Michael Jordan, Chaos in Windy City. As a platform game, it's got the novelty of not having to jump on people's heads, but instead you use your basketball to get rid of the baddies. The baddies themselves are quite strange, as giant spiders and other seemingly weird people with basketballs for heads. Michael Jordan's looks very good. Yeah, all the sprites move lovely and the movement's great. You have to find keys to open doors and you have to push switches to operate lifts. Um, very bog-standard platform game, I'm afraid. There seems to be a trend at the moment involving basketball players in sort of unrelated games. Platform fans would be better off looking somewhere else. Basketball fans would be better off with something like NBA Jam. But Luke, speaking of really fucking shonky basketball tying games, yeah, this is. Uh, so I played this quite recently, uh, and it's um, it, it's not a great game. It's very awkward to play, um, and it's not a game that I don't think I ever knew really existed. Yeah, I think it's like Franco kind of sums it up quite nicely here, which is just that platforming game fans will find a better game somewhere else, and basketball fans will probably have more fun playing NBA Jam. See, I have also played this game recently. I've also recorded a podcast episode on it for Hardcore Gaming 101, where we talked about this and we talked about the various idiosyncrasies of the game. I don't know. It, it, I find it kind of a fun game. I wish it was more fun. I actually think it looks pretty good. It looks great. I do agree the controls are bobbins. It's also kind of amusing because whilst they obviously did have a license or the likeness of Michael Jordan, they didn't have an agreement for the Air Jordans to appear or his Jumping Man iconography. So they could have basically a generic looking Michael Jordan in generic basketball gear, running around weird platform environments, rescuing generic looking basketball players because none of his teammates were licensed either. But you know what was licensed, Luke? What was that? Gatorade and Wheaties. Because whilst you're running around fighting basketball spider monsters and zombies and God knows what else that can use a basketball as part of their anatomy, you're keeping your health topped up with Wheaties and Gatorade, which I'm assuming are part of a nutritious balanced breakfast. Well, I can only assume so, otherwise it would not be in my video game telling me to go and buy them. And that, that's one of the reasons why like that list that I talked about earlier, the Nintendo Power released, where it was like, oh, um, Shaq Fu is the third worst game ever made. This ends up in that exact same list at the number seven position, even though they had also given it a very positive review when it had first came out. And basically, they, they although they were critical of the, the, the product placement throughout it, there was a Mega Drive port of this planned, which means I probably would have known it a bit more had that one come out, but it wasn't released in the end. But this game does have an amazing ending, Luke, because throughout the game, you're rescuing these other basketball players. And then when you get to the end of the game, you're shown Michael Jordan high-fiving every player he's rescued whilst the credits roll. And then Michael Jordan just stands there bouncing a basketball for the rest of the credits. That's it. That's the ending. I'm sure it's a lovely animation. It is, and you'll see it a lot. Because, I mean, we are in the era of the basketball star here. We just had Shaquille O'Neal have his own game. Michael Jordan with his own game here. We've actually talked about a Michael Jordan-specific game already in this podcast run back in Series 2 towards the end. Uh, I mentioned at the start of the show, Charles Barkley has got a game out. Barkley Shut Up and Jam. Scotty Pippen 
has got a game coming out, I believe it's the following year, it might even be this year on the Mega CD, called Slam City. Michael Jordan is going to be in Space Jam in a couple of years' time. It's going to have that massive advertising campaign with the Looney Tunes. Dennis Rodman is going to become a crossover star with the world of professional wrestling with WCW in a couple of years' time. Like this sort of mid-90s to late-90s period is very much of the basketball star, which I don't... We haven't had to that level ever again. We have had it with some people, like LeBron James, I think, is a name that is... Uh, you know, you could argue as a household name. I don't think there were like this many basketball names that would have getting like, you know, all these Wheaties endorsements and video games and movie deals in this, that and the other. One person who did do very well out of this specific video game, though, was the lead designer who took over after the original designer quit. That person was Amy Hennig, who went on to make Uncharted. Legacy of Kane, Jack and Dexter... So yeah. yeah, this was their chance to step into the limelight and actually take control after the first person quit. So excellent. A great career launched from that point on. Finally, travel through space, meet interesting new people and uh, kill them in the name of progress in Inferno. Inferno is the most incredibly fast, incredibly detailed and incredibly smooth PC shoot 'em up so far. And it very much is a shoot 'em up. It has simulation overtones, but there's so much blasting I do and so many sort of alien baddies to kill that um, no one's going to get bored except perhaps flight simulation enthusiasts. With over 700 missions, well, stages actually, that you can access during the evolutionary period of the game, um, this is very in-depth and will take up a lot of your time. If you're into these sort of games, then this is obviously for you. Go out and buy it now. A game that gets incredible comments here, and not a score that really backs up what they're saying. It's Inferno on the PC, because they're talking about, like, this is it. Like, this is the flight sim shoot 'em up that's on the PC. You're going to absolutely love it. It's incredible. It's fast-moving. It's this, that, and the other. Uh, the only people who are going to get bored of this are flight sim enthusiasts. There's 700 stages. It's so in-depth. If you're into these sorts of games, buy it now. 80%. Yeah. I mean, they, they talk about this game. It is a sequel to the game Epic, and... It was a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah, 700 missions. That's a lot of missions. It's more than five. And when they released it, it came with a comic book describing the story of your pilot. It came from a writer who was working for 2000 AD. And there was a spin-off album. Yeah, I was going to say the soundtrack to this game was done by Alien Sex Fiend. And um, I listened to some of it today. Friggin' out, you want to talk about some generic-ass music. Like, you know, we were talking about how, like, Wigfield is pretty unique. There is nothing unique about Alien Sex Fiend other than the name. You can actually apparently still buy it now. It was re-released recently with its uh, precursor, Epic, like back in 2019. I do wonder how well it's aged. I suspect not that well. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. Like the reviews that at the time were uh, quite mixed as well. Actually, they were kind of in line with what Gamesmaster were, well, at least what they scored it rather than what they said. Um, Dragon gave it two and a half out of five. PC Games scored it 80%. PC Gamer 73. It kind of feels in the mind, it just like it was such a weird review in that like they were so, so heavily praising of it for it to only then get 80. No, not only 80%, but like it's that 80% is not in line with what they were saying. 
Apparently, there was a version of this game, though, uh, set to be released on the Atari Jaguar. Yeah, there was. And in it, but like, uh, what I would say is that like this is a rumor that I can only find one source for, and it's from this fanzine uh, called Game Fan, printed in April 1994, where he is basically running through all the news from Europe, and it basically just feels like his opportunity to dunk on anything that Atari Jaguar is putting out. He describes AVP as looking quote sad and basically says like inferno will just be a good cybermorph if, if it comes out i mean a good cybermorph would have actually been quite welcome really yeah i'd have, I'd have gone for it computer gaming world really did not like the game i really really did this got it one out of five and called it and i quote generic cheesy glitchy and tedious and in 1996 ranked it the 44th worst game of all time now was that above or below shack fu it's very funny, isn't it, that we've had all three of our games have appeared in the worst games of all time lists in various forms. The first two, I can more understand it because they're tie-in games, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe journalists weren't fans of Alien Sex Fiend. Could be. Well, that's enough reviews. Let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I've selected something just a little different for our second challenge tonight. The three-player beat-em-up Dragon on the Super Nintendo. As with all beat-em-ups, each player has their own health bar at the top of the screen, which decreases as they are hit. The contest will be over a single bout, and the player left standing will be the winner. Let's enter the dragon! Now, a three-way fighting game is very, very cool. And Dragon is a pretty, like, cool-looking game. I think the, the sprites in it are really, really nice. I would say, but we'll get into the challenge in a bit, that the challenge's big problem is that all of the fighters look the same. Yes, because this is based on the movie of the same name, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. And in the fight we're about to see, we get Bruce Lee versus Bruce Lee versus Bruce Lee. Technically, it's Green Pants Bruce Lee versus Red Pants Bruce Lee versus Blue Slash black pants bruce lee now i can't tell you 100 percent whether it was this bad in the original game i seem to remember it wasn't but the transfer we've got to watch of this episode is quite dark yeah it is three bruce lees in various shades of black so really the only way i could tell who was winning was just by watching the health bars at the top and kind of guesstimating which was which I um I've never played this game though. Have you? Yeah, yeah. I really liked it because I I quite like Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Yes, it's not entirely historically accurate. In fact, it's fairly inaccurate. But it it's a pretty good movie, and uh, the story of the game, the single player at least, is pretty cool. It's quite tough. My mate uh, was obsessed with Bruce Lee movies at this point of his life. He absolutely loved them, and he had Dragon on VHS. So it probably would have been like the following year, maybe. He watched it all the time. He just absolutely loved anything that, to do with Bruce Lee. I mean, we're seeing the Super Nintendo version here. It did get released for a number of other platforms, including the Mega Drive. And Luke, guess what? It's Ari Jaguar. It got one. It came <laughs> out. Yeah, I was going to say, it actually got released this time. Unfortunately, it came out before they'd released the multi-tap adapter for the Atari Jaguar. So the somewhat unique three-player part didn't get ported over. Well, you know, but it's very, very Atari in that case. It kind of fits the modus operandi of that console. 
The big difference though is the 8-bit version, specifically the Game Gear and Master System, they featured a very different gameplay format. Uh, they were a bit more of a scrolling beat-em-up, which the developers of the original game were dead set against. They said that they were against the idea of creating a project similar to Streets of Rage 2 and opted for developing a fighting title more in line with Street Fighter 2 The World Warrior. And each character uses over 100 frames of animation, which doesn't sound like a lot now. But 93, 94? That is a lot. Particularly because the sprites are sizable. It looks lovely. And it looks really, like when the animations go as well, when we get into the actual challenge itself, they do look really, really nice. Playing Dragon today, we have a cornucopia of Antipodean soap legends. Please welcome Bruce Roberts, Sarah Vandenberg, and Dan Falzon. Right, let's start with you, Bruce. Um, I'm always interested in getting gossip on the Australian soaps. Who was the most unpopular person in the Home and Away cast? Uh, a guy who came in to pay, play the, uh, the veterinary surgeon once and uh -huh. told Ben and Carly that their chickens had chicken cholera. I'd say he was right. the most unpopular. I never liked Matt Stevenson, because I'll say this, I'll say one thing about you, Bruce. You had very good hair for Home and Away. I had very good hair. Yeah, most other people in Home and Away had really bad hair, like Matt Stevenson, a really lank kind of thing, do you know what yeah. I mean? So oh, I never liked him. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Oh, they're all chipping in now, they're all dissing your, dissing your show. <laughs> uh, let's, let's go into you now, Sarah. Over here, with, with all due respect to Bruce, Neighbours is, is seen as slightly superior to Home and Away. Why is that, do you think? Uh, Bruce, is, Bruce is nodding in agreement there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You're never doing that. Um, I, I think it's because it's, it was the first one to come out and we had Carly and Jason. Yep. I think that's the reason. And Helen Daniels. Oh, of course. <laughs> With an amazing heart attack, which made a mouth turn go like that, and that was all it did. Um, anyway, on to you, Dan. Dan, you're a bit of a Jack the Lad in, uh, in Neighbours. Is there any girl on the set whose tonsils you haven't tickled yet but would like to? I'm still getting there, but I've still got Sarah to go. <laughs> we never got there. No. no. Oh, we're, we're, we're just family in the show, aren't we? Yeah. We're fine. We have got stars from Home and Away and Neighbours, which means it's time to play everyone's favourite game whenever we get a star from Neighbours or Home and Away on this show. Were they still on Neighbours or Home and Away by the time this episode went out on air? Well, first up we got Bruce Roberts, who's a former actor, so there's a, we're off to a bad start already. Oh yeah. He played Nick Parrish. He's currently a news presenter and journalist with WIN News, so he's gone on to actually probably a more illustrious career in some respects. I mean, certainly a more regular paycheck. But was he still on the show when this episode went out? No, because he left home and away, and indeed Australia, to move to the UK to be with his girlfriend. Ah, well, I mean, we're not off to a good start, but it's okay, because we've got two other people still to go here. Maybe we'll get one of them. Well, second up, we've got Sarah Vandenberg, an Australian actress who played the original role of Lauren Carpenter in Neighbours from 93 to 94. Unfortunately so, yeah. So, I mean, Bruce, I mean, actually, she's worse than the other one because Bruce left in June. She left in March. But she did go on to play Kerry in Hollyoaks in 1999 to 2000. And much like Bruce, she's left the soap opera world. But today, she works for a shopping network in Australia called TVSN. Right, OK, well, we're 0 for 2 here. This is why we've got three. Surely, surely Dan will save us here. Well, Dan is an actor of Maltese descent, best known for his role as Rick Alessi on the television soap opera Neighbours, and going by what Dominic says, is a bit of a ladies' man. Indeed he is, but was he still on the show when this episode aired? I don't know, Luke. Was he still on the show when this aired? Yeah! He was. It was March 1995. He's on it for at least another seven months. Well, that's still plenty of time to continue to bird dog his way around the female characters. 
Hel- even Helen Daniels may not be safe. Well, actually, and in fairness as well, because um, we got them six months after they aired in Australia, that means that we wouldn't see him leave until like the end of 1995. So he's actually around for a lot longer with our uh, timeline. He also left the acting trade and currently is employed by St. John's Ambulance as a paramedic in Alice Springs, along with his two brothers, Tom and Ben, who also run an eco-tourism business together called Millicom. Yeah, he's become a bit of an activist, really, which is really cool to see. I do like that all three of these people went on to many and varied careers and still seem to be pretty active today. It's good to see because we have had a couple of soap actors that we've kind of got nothing on them after like 99, 2000. Are they still alive? We just don't know. But these three, they seem to be doing varying levels of okay. I also like that we have got three actors here, two of which are from Neighbours, one of which is from Home and Away. And I mean, they're not really here to promote their shows. They, they sort of are, but they sort of aren't. But they also, it's not pitched as like Neighbours versus Home and Away either. It just felt like the all three of them had the same agents. The person making it most adversarial is Dom who kind of goes straight for the jugular and just asks Bruce, who is the most unpopular person in the Home and Away cast? Which Bruce deftly, deftly dodges by going, oh, there was a vet uh, who came in and told these two characters their chickens had cholera, which isn't an answer. Well, it's a answer. It's not the answer Dom wanted. So, so Dom instantly jumps into, you guessed it, someone's hair. As so, Like, it's Matt Stevenson. He's the real problem. But he does say for Bruce... He has very good hair, and most people in Home and Away have very bad hair. In fairness, like Sarah's answer as, you know, like, why is Neighbours more popular than Home and Away? It's just like, well, it was the first one, and we had Kylie and Jason. It's like, yeah, that's fine. I want to talk about Helen Daniels, though. Because she had a heart attack and a bit of a stroke and and kind of a mouth did did all this. Helen Daniels is the Danny Bear of this episode. Like, (laughs) he's got a target on Helen Daniels. What I did like here, though, is that when Dom asks, is there anyone you haven't kissed on set yet? Sarah goes, me! Almost like in this exciting point of like, I'm one of them. Like, there's still time. We've got we've got an ad break to go through, you know. We can uh, we can pre-game, if you will. <laughs> okay, well, uh, while we see how this menage a trois develops, we'll go to a commercial break. Prepare to boldly go where no European business traveler has gone before into space, in the airport, in the new European lounges, and somewhere even more important, Club Europe's biggest seat ever. New Club Europe. A giant leap for business mankind. All right, son, point out the animal that did this to you. The beast is back. Now with 100 levels of pain. Donkey Kong. New for Game Boy. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This stamp collection is worth a guaranteed one million pounds. Collect the stamps with the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday and you could win one of hundreds of daily cash prizes. You could soon be £10,000 richer or even 20000 And in every one of the monthly draws, someone will win £100,000. In all, we guarantee to pay out one million pounds. Pick up a game card from your newsagent on Saturday, start playing with the Mail on Sunday and continue with the Daily Mail. Don't forget, pick up your game card on Saturday. Ah, Nestle clusters. Crunchy clusters of nuts combined with crispy golden wheat flakes and a touch of honey for an utterly delicious taste. If you like nuts, you'll love Nestle clusters. We have Bruce Roberts, Sarah Vandenberg and Dan Falson as our special guests. They're getting ready to play a dragon, getting ready to help me out. It's Steve Merritt from Mean Machines. Welcome, Steve. How you doing? Steve, now uh, we were talking about hair earlier on. Who's got your favourite haircut in Neighbours? Bounce always did it for me. Is it better than Jim Robinson's? Mm, but not quite up to match, perhaps. <laughs> and uh, this is a three-player beat-em-up, Steve. Any, any tips you can throw out? Well, I hate to say it, but um, Sarah's actually in a bit of a bad predicament because all Dan and Bruce have to do is jump in and kick her down. And if they were to work against her, then they can sort each other out afterwards. Okay, so Sarah could be in big trouble if the boys gang up, man. Well, coming back from that ad break, we have got Steve Merritt from Me Machine Sega in the booth, and they're going to start talking about hair again. It's Bouncer has got the best hair from Neighbours, apparently. Better than Jim Robinson's, but not up to the Madge Bishop standard. And we, he talks about how like Sarah is the one who's in a tough spot here because of a three-way fighting game, she is the one that is in the centre. So in theory... Dan and Bruce could double team her and like take her out of the game effectively. Bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink there, diamondism. And what I like about this is that they play up to it. Like all of a sudden, like they can hear Steve Merritt say this and Sarah's like, oh, what? You're going to do that to me, mate? And the other two are like behind her back being like, yeah, shaking each other's hands, being like, yeah, let's do that. That'd be great, mate. Bros, bros. <laughs> and then she's all like acts very sad about the whole thing. It's, it's adorable. These guys are not top-tier games players. They they do better than some soap actors we've had, but they are having a lot of fun, and it makes it a lot of fun to watch. Even if they didn't quite play into kind of Dominic's game, 
uh, purely because they probably still won't work. But no, it, it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, as we alluded to, VHS and time has not been kind to this challenge because the challenge begins and Dan is fighting as Bruce Lee, Sarah is fighting as Bruce Lee, and Bruce is fighting as Bruce Lee. And so you've got three characters that look identical being played by three people who are not the best players. And therefore, there's a lot of whiffing. There's a lot of missed shots. I don't think we've seen this kind of fighting game performance since season one or maybe no. early season two. And it it's a mess. But also, because of the type of game it is, there are a lot of different moves. There's a lot of different kicks. There's a lot of different kind of jumping kicks and flips and flip-de-doos and whatchamacallits. But there's no fireballs. There's no spinning bird kicks. There's no dragon punches. You know, it's, it's more IK++ than Street Fighter 2. It's not good. Like it is, uh, Steve calls it uh, like a playground fight that is not befitting of Bruce Lee, and he and he's he's not far wrong. It, it's scrappy, is what it is. Like it is just them just whacking buttons, and you know, occasionally they hit, occasionally they don't, occasionally a move pops out, occasionally it doesn't, and it's hard to keep track of who is who because, of, as you say, because of uh, time and VHS and. You, you basically in the end bruce wins that is that is pretty much all there is to say about the fight well of course he does they were all bruce y- yes yes it was bruce playing as bruce is the one who wins. oh the bruce bruce yeah bruce bruce just takes me to the monty python australian philosophers sketch be joining us this year here in the philosophy department of the university of Bolivar. <laughs> Michael Baldwin, this is Bruce. Michael Baldwin, this is Bruce. Michael Baldwin, this is Bruce. Is your name not Bruce then? Uh, no, it's Michael. That's going to cause a little confusion. Yeah. It got very Brucey, Brucey, Brucey bonus, even. Got, yeah. I mean, like Dominic at the end is like, you know, home and away beats neighbours. But like, I, you know, I think he's, he's fighting a losing battle with that one in the end. He's trying to start a war and they're not interested. No, they are not going for it. Now, Dan, we'll start with you. You nearly did it. It was very close in the end there uh, between you and Bruce. What happened then? Oh, we just got to team up a bit better sometimes. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> I, I must admit, the team up was a bit lacking. And as for you, Sarah, you started off brilliantly. Then you went all Helen Daniels after a while. What went wrong? I think these guys sort of, like, malfunctioned my control. Yeah, yeah. They cheated. Yeah, well, you've got one person that agrees with you. We've obviously managed to let another Australian slip through the security. Um, Bruce, you had no problems at all, though, there. Um, does this mean that Home and Away is actually a, a fast earner stuff than Neighbours? Well, I just ran the surf club during uh, breaks in the, with the filming. We used to get down on the old Matt Mania. <laughs> we're, we're too busy working, yeah, you know. Yeah, we're too busy. <laughs> but post-match, Dom says that Sarah started brilliantly, then went to Helen Daniel huge slam on Helen Daniels again what happened and Sarah plays into it saying she reckons the lads messed with her controller and cheated and someone in the crowd agrees and Dom immediately leaps on it going yeah another Australian slipped through security we'll have to do something about that yeah it is just one person one person and she goes yeah have you ever been that person in a crowd oh yeah 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 I've been been up into wrestling shows with like eight people in the audience you're always going to be there's always going to be that one person that one person has unfortunately been me on several occasions when it's a small crowd with eight people, I think it's a bit more understandable because you want to get some atmosphere going. It's when it's the one person in like a room of 200. I've never been that guy. No. The only thing more awkward than that is room full of 200 people and a phone going off. <sighs> oh, shit goes down on that now. But back to the post challenge, Bruce had no problems. And does this mean that Home and Away is tougher than Neighbours? 
And he's not sure, but he does say that they did play video games during the downtime on set. I think he was referring to Pac-Man. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, yeah, I, thought, I think he might have said Pac-Mania, but I thought he said Matt-Mania at first there. But yeah, he might have said Pac-Mania. Basically, he knows his way around a joystick, which is just as well because he can spend some of his downtime now looking at his golden Games Master joystick. Yeah, I like the uh, the, the two neighbours guys being like, oh, the reason why he won is because we neighbour stars work so much harder on our show than the home and away lot. They've got too much downtime to play games. So that was quite cute. But like that is pretty much the extent of the we are two shows at war here. As the Beatles once sang, you get by with a little help from your friends. For those of you with no friends, here's the consultation zone. That's the second time we've had jokes about viewers not having any friends. He really is a grumpy dom at the beginning of this series. But again... It made me laugh. Made me laugh a lot. I really, really like that line. Games Master, I really like Pete Sampras tennis on the Mega Drive, but is there anything secret in it? How about two secret games hidden inside? First, on the main menu, select World Tour. Now, choose any player, but don't enter your name. Select yes for entering a password, and enter Zephyr. This isn't just a lot of hot air, but the way you gain access to the secret office on the main menu. Huge Tour is a massive tournament in which up to eight people can play. Select Crazy Tennis, and you'll find yourself playing with some very strange characters and the biggest racket on the circuit. That's cool. You'll probably be unsurprised to know I sent this hint across to Dave Bulmer of Sonic the Comic the Podcast. It's on Pete Sampras Tennis. And the lads at Sonic the Comic the Podcast are not sports fans. They are not sports games fans. But basically, the hint that you get here when you unlock the crazy match, you unlock Dizzy as a character. And so I was like, I'm just going to quickly send this across to Dave Bulmer. So I sent it to him this morning and he messaged me back going like, I think I already know what this is. This is the one with Dizzy, isn't it? And Messenger of Five Minutes being like, yep, thought it was. It's the one with Dizzy in it. I mean, Dizzy was to Codemasters as Sonic or Mario are to Sega or Nintendo. If they could hide him somewhere, the little egg-shaped man-child that he is, they probably would. And I got a good chuckle out of this because as we discussed when Dave was on the podcast, I'm a Dizzy fan as well. So, yeah. so this was lovely to see. Yeah, it was really, really nice to see. It's a fun little hint this as well. To unlock like two extra modes is really cool, particularly because one of them is like this big eight-player tournament that you can do. That's rad. It is worth saying regarding Dizzy that if you hit Dizzy five times in crazy mode, he breaks, giving extra points to the last player who hit the ball. It's a shame to be breaking Dizzy. Maybe there's a bonus game where you, you are playing as all the king's horses and all the king's men, and you're trying to put Dizzy back together again. Yeah, all the king's ball boys. Moving on. Games Master, I'm a bit worried because I keep kicking the ball out of the pitch on FIFA Soccer and the Mega CD. You must be able to help me. Well, try this. Go to the options screen and enter this code, CCCBAAAB. Now, when you play the game, you'll find there's an invisible wall surrounding the pitch. You can bounce your balls off it as much as you like. I'm satisfied? Thanks, Games Master. That's wicked. 
Well, speaking of ball boys, our second girl is uh, having trouble on FIFA on the Mega CD. Like, you know, we mentioned how like FIFA on the Mega CD looks exactly the same as the Mega Drive. This may as well have just been the bloody Mega Drive version. You wouldn't have known. This feels like it's a hint for the Mega Drive version, but it's basically to give yourself invisible walls. So you've got a hint here, or you can wait till FIFA 97 comes out and you get the indoor football bit. Yeah, I, I'm fairly certain that this cheat also worked on the first SNES version of FIFA because I remember doing it and as Games Master says it allows you to bounce your balls as much as you like. Even GM's getting in on the smutty schoolboy humour but again it made me laugh and I played this game on the SNES a lot with this cheat on because it did make for some chaotic games but a lot of fun. I put with Mighty Max on the Game Boy. On the second rim of the Hannock World I keep getting stuck. What do I do? This one's easy. First of all, you must push the trampoline until it's on the top of the last box, the one. Jump up, walk across, and swap your bag for the duck. You'll need the duck later. Walk back and wait at the third brick from the right. Lo and behold, the lively fellow will magically float up and take you to the door you've been wanting to reach. Easy when you know how, don't you think? Nice one, Games Master. Thanks. Now, this last game here is... A bit of a puzzling one. I can't find this game. I kind of searched high and low for it, and I cannot find it. What did you have down as what he said? Mighty Max. Now, there is a toy range called Mighty Max. Certainly is. It's the masculine Polly Pocket line. I had loads of them when I was a kid, and they were awesome. And there were a couple of video games. They were on the SNES, and they were and on the Mega Drive, and they were not good. They were based off the animated series. The animated series, which is very good, but the, uh, yeah, the, the video game that came along with it, not so good. Well, this Charlie said Mighty Max, but what he meant to say was Monster Max, which oh. is what this game is, which is an isometric adventure game developed by Rare. So we're, we're seeing an early Rare title here, published by Titus, released for the Game Boy in 1994, and designed by John Rittman and Bernie Drummond, making it understandable as to why it is very very similar in graphics and gameplay to Head Over Heels, their game from 1987. It didn't sell very well, but it was critically lauded and never released in North America. So this was a European exclusive, pretty much. This one of this goes back to what Don was saying in our interview about the production of the first half of Series 4 not being that great. And we actually get it in a little bit as well in our final challenge. These are kids. They're not here to actually like look for hints. They're basically just there to read off scripts and stuff. And they've clearly been given, you know, this kid's been read this line about Monster Max, but because Mighty Max are very, very popular at the moment, he's got that in his head. So when, just as I was, when I've watched this now in 2021, when he said Mighty Max, I was like, oh, cool. There was a Mighty Max game on the Game Boy. And I looked at it, I was like, this looks like a great Mighty Max game. Went online to look for it. I was like, I can't find any Mighty Max game for the bloody Game Boy, though. So yeah, it's it's clearly just, it was a fluff in the line read that, that he had to give. Now, this game did at one point have the option to be published by Nintendo, which would have involved some sprite swapping and apparently meant that the game would have starred a character from the Nintendo universe. Now, given it was called Monster Max, I'm almost wondering if it would have been like a Cooper or maybe Bowser or something along those lines, you know, something to fit in with the monstrous uh, idea and theming. But this game was released in 1994, This consultation zone entry is from the tail end of 1994, but Titus ballsed up the release. Oh, yeah? And so realistically, you couldn't actually buy cartridge copies of this for the most part until December 1995. 
Friggin' hell, that's quite a long lead time. And it's a shame because Super Gamer gave it 96%, Game Boy Action gave it 94%. They weren't kidding around. They liked this game. It looks really, really good. Like This was like, I was kind of annoyed that I couldn't find it when I was doing my research earlier because it looks like the sort of game that I would want to play, like find a ROM of. Well, now you know the correct title. Hopefully you can. Although this is another classic example of the games master going, oh, this is easy. And then doing a completely unrelated series of things that make bug of all sense. It is, again, like Timothy Spall in Back to Reality, the episode of Red Dwarf, talking about all the clues Rimmer missed, going, oh, it's blatant. Well, it's time for our final challenge. So what are we playing, Games Master? My final challenge for today is the truly primitive arcade game, Primal Rage. The two characters I've selected, Diablo and Blizzard, are not likely to make it beyond the Ice Age, but they've got plenty of stamina when it comes to a good old beat-em-up. As always, players have three rounds to secure their opponent's extinction. of a banger this one bloody love primal rage uh and it's the arcade as well because we're not getting the console versions for a little while and uh this game i remember it being everywhere when it came out i remember the adverts there were toys there were comics there were other merchandise tie-ins produced and it looks great it looks absolutely amazing and it's great to see the arcade because even now the arcade version is difficult to achieve because in a few years from when this is broadcast mame becomes an achievable thing on home pcs and it only gets better but for a long long time and maybe even today i don't entirely know primal rage is still an arsehole to emulate because of the copy protection built into it our final pair of challenges then are paul russell and edo zugar is there any types of games that you don't like uh beat-em-ups especially this one yeah well why don't you like beat-em-ups i just can't do them you know that there's thick people who like beat-em-ups no i don't think so no it's scientifically true some bloke told me in in a pub um so what what are you going to do about this one then tonight just do my best yeah Yeah. Uh, listen that's all you can do Paul, uh, let's move on to Edo. What do you like doing when you're not playing video games? I know, um, listening to music, hanging out, things like that. Hanging out of moving vehicles? Or... <laughs> no, going, going to discos, things yeah. like that. What sort of music are you into? Rap. Rap. Poor old Russell here. He's made it to Games Master. He's on telly. He's doing a challenge. What's the one type of game that he doesn't like? Beat em ups. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a bit of a balls for this one. He has a bit of a bollocks for him. Well, that's okay because Dom makes him feel slightly better because Dom says that thick people like beat em ups. It's scientifically true. Some bloke told him in a pub. Yeah, I like Dom having fun here. That's a really, really nice line because I think I wonder if that is there just to be a shot at Dave Perry, who he's doing commentary with. Dave, sun's out, guns out, Perry. <laughs> And he's having a bit of fun with Edel as well, because he's trying to like twi- like you know, turn the words around that he's saying. Because he's like, oh, what do you like to do when you're not playing games? He's like, oh, just hang out. I hang out of moving cars. It's like, no, 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 down the discotheque. It's like, no, I know what you meant, mate. I was, just, I was trying to have a bit of a laugh with you. Yeah, yeah, but what music do you, what music do you like? And he's like, oh, rap. And my brain is like moving at this point going, so he goes and hangs out at a disco and listens to rap. 
this is again not another kid from Dom's mum's school. These are like these are blood from uh, Russell's all right, but like Edel here is blood from stone uh, type of material. This just might be the battle of your life. Are you ready for primal rage? Yes, Primal Rage, the biggest arcade beat-em-up of the year, has arrived from the States where it's been pooing on the opposition with some of the smartest graphics ever seen anywhere. But how did they get them looking so gorgeous? Stop-motion animation, a technique used in the production of major motion picture special effects. Okay, number 17. Right out. That is just one out of hundreds of individual pictures that make a fight sequence. The combination of these tiny precision movements will eventually make Talon jump, kick, and punch. Starting on a wee piece of paper, the artist designed all these wacky dinosaurs. But who did they get to bring them to life? Spielberg? Lucas? No, Dan Platt. You know, Dan. Dan Platt has made a career of making movie monsters. Dan turns detailed illustrations into skillfully sculptured works of art. He also pulls lots of birds. Once the sculpting is finished, after much fun with plasticine, a posable skeleton is inserted and the finished model is painted. The animated moves are recorded and the completed footage is sampled by a computer to add the finishing touches. Now Talon is ready to fight. Primal Rage will be in arcades nationwide very soon and on console next year. Okay, so let's get Primal. Primal Rage. This is a really, really fun feature. This is a great feature. It's all like press material that has been sent over, so you can have some fun with it, with Dominic Diamond doing like the, the Mystery Science Theater stuff with it a little bit later on. But seeing this game getting made and seeing like the claymation models being built and the wireframes and them animating things, it's rad. And we get a fun little bit here where Dom says that all these wacky dinosaurs were designed on paper, but who brought them to life? Spielberg, Lucas... No, Dan Platt. You know, Dan. Dan Platt's actually got a really good um, uh, pedigree behind him. Like he, We mentioned Gremlins 2 earlier. He was part of Rick Baker's team on that, but he was also a sculptor on It, The Adams Family, Batman Returns, and Army of Darkness, and would do Escape from L.A. as well. Yeah, and also, while he did get a start with the physical sculpting and model making and working on stuff like this, he is not someone that has stuck around technologically He's an award-winning digital artist as well. He made Virtual Tupac. Yeah, the one that was at um, Thingio from a couple of years ago. Coachella. Yeah, Coachella, yeah. But also the Digital Humans in Tron Legacy. He de-aged Jeff Bridges and Bruce Boxleitner. He created Kevin Bacon's uh, kind of morphing persona as Sebastian Shaw in X-Men First Class. He is an effects artist in all senses of the word. And it's really impressive because if he got his start back in the 80s, then he is he's going against the grain of teaching the old dog new tricks. He's still clearly staying with it and, yeah, multi-award winning and apparently pulls lots of birds. <laughs> it's very cool that we have got these claymation models and they do look really, really good. The problem that we've got, though, is that claymation takes ages, takes a really, really, really long time. So that's problem one. Problem two is that this game is being made by Atari Games. In itself, not a problem, because Atari Games are doing lots of arcade stuff, and that is what they are, they're very, very good at. 
the problem with that comes is that Atari are struggling with Jaguar sales. So they need they need this game out and they need it get they need it out now. And as such, they have to rush through the production to the point when this game doesn't have an end boss. It was supposed to have an end boss, but they didn't have enough time. So they released it without the end boss in place. So at the end of the game, you just do a gauntlet of fighting all of the previous characters that you've already fought, which makes the game feel a little bit incomplete. The character of Necrosan, who was the, supposed to be the end boss, was eventually added back in. But it, it comes down to Atari were like, we need to get something out that's going to sell. Push this out now. Primal Rage almost went a winner is you with their ending or what is it rest now my weary heroes yeah, yeah. the city is saved or whatever that stuff is it did look great in the arcade i remember it turning up and those sprites are huge and i'm a fan of stop motion animation i'm a kid of ray harryhausen you know that i grew up with jason and the argonauts and all that stuff so this game appealed to me on multiple levels because one fighting game two big monsters three stop motion four lots of blood yeah, it, it's a bloody, it's a very, very gory game as well. The There was supposed to be a sequel to this game, a sequel that very much was like massively in development, and it was going to get a release um, a couple of years after this. And what they found when they were looking at like the usage data of Primal Rage is that the most played characters were Chaos and Blizzard, who were the two ape characters. So what they deduced from that is that and it's so funny because you said it there, like the, the the appeal of this was being able to play as dinosaurs. And when I got this on the Mega Drive, the appeal for me was to play as dinosaurs. But when they looked at the player data and it was just picking the ape character, they deduced from that. It's like, ah, people don't want to be playing as the dinosaurs. They want to be playing as human type characters. So Primal Rage 2 is basically just all human characters. You become the avatars for the the primal rage characters that you have here you are a human character a human god who periodically throughout a fight will change into their primal forms so you turn into blizzard or chaos or diablo or whoever it is and then you turn back into being human form which is cool and they released a whole book to like explain like this new storyline and stuff and tied it into like this the big wider mythology as you were talking about there in the comic books and the action figures and even the board game that came out for it the problem was, though, if you've got double the characters, you need double the space on the cartridge, and it was not going to go onto a cartridge. And if you can't make this a home console game, then they're not particularly interested in selling it. And so that was one of the problems for Primal Rage 2. The other problem was Midway bought them. And Midway were like, well, we already have Mortal Kombat. What do we need you for? And that is what completely killed off Primal Rage 2. But speaking of home consoles, the list of home consoles this game did make its way onto. It's on the frigging Game Gear. Yeah, it was on the Game Gear, the Game Boy, MS-DOS, PlayStation, Sega Genesis, Sega Saturn, Super Nintendo, Panasonic, 3DO, the 32X, the Amiga, and Luke, the Atari Jaguar CD. It was even released on the Tiger R-Zone. I don't even know <laughs> what that is. It's a hunk of shit. That much I could take as red. I do have a separate note on the Saturn version, though. Oh, it's bobbins. It's absolutely shit. <laughs> it is bobbins because to meet the deadlines, a version had to be sacrificed or rather had to have resources pulled off it. And the Saturn version was the one that was sacrificed, which is a shame because Ken Humphreys has gone on record as saying that it was actually easier to make the Saturn hardware recreate the size of the sprites of the arcade game. Horror, Sam. Best positioned 
to do a good home port of this game and they f***ed it. Well, it's also because it's the one that's not selling. I mean, you thought the 3DO would get that treatment. But yeah, like it's it's the one that's it's not the future. PlayStation, that, that one is the future. The poor old Saturn gets a real short shift there. Don't listen to him. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not stroking my Saturn. Diamondism. With me again is Dave Perry. Dave, I've been thinking, looking at you with a bandana, you look a bit like one of those Japanese kamikaze pilots. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Dave, those special moves in brief, please. Okay, well, we've got a T-Rex here called Diablo who's got a nifty range of fireball moves. He can also teleport himself to the other side of the screen. Whilst we've also got the giant ape Blizzard who's from the frozen wastes and he can freeze his opponent. He can also take them by the neck and punch them up the chin. Okay, nice guy. Okay, best of luck to Edo and Paul. Let the fight begin. Here he is in his sleeveless shirt and his bandana looking cool. Dave Ferry's on commentary. But still not the game's animal. Are we misremembering how quickly or indeed how often he was the game's animal? Because, Luke, we should really be at this bandana wearing fireworks factory by now. I thought it would have been by now. And it's not, they still have not introduced him. I was like, I wonder if it's a case of he is calling himself that, but everyone thinks it's proper lame. They won't say it on TV because Dominic Diamond is proper mean to Dave Perry throughout this series. And we get a tiny little glimpse of it here, but it's only going to get worse as this series goes on. Because Dom throws over to Dave to give us the rundown of the special moves. And Dave's like, oh, Diablo has a range of fireball moves as well as teleportation, Blizzard from the frozen wasteland, yada, yada, yada. Dominic is alternating between falling asleep, pulling faces, or just essentially doing anything to distract either Dave or people from listening to Dave. Also a joke right at the beginning of this segment that doesn't land terribly well, which is where Dom looks at Dave in his bandana and goes, ah, like a kamikaze pilot. Yeah, it clearly caught Dave off guard. Again, this is the sort of thing, leading off what you said, I don't know if Dom said that to mean it, or if Dom said that because he was literally just trying to trip Dave up. Yeah. Basically make him lose his place, lose what he was doing, uh, get flustered on camera, trolling him, basically. Yeah, you've only got one take, kid. So the problem we, I've said the word problem a lot in this uh, Primal Rage segment, which is a shame because the game is awesome and this game looks great here, but we do have a production problem here. The names are wrong because Paul is playing as Diablo and Edel is playing as Blizzard, but they've got it wrong on the actual like production of this. It says that Edel is playing as Diablo and Paul is playing as Blizzard. And when I first watched this episode, I was like, okay, cool. Wow, Paul, the guy who's not very good at beat-em-ups, who doesn't like them, is taking a lot of this and is doing really, really well. And then when Blizzard wins at the end, I was like, ah, good for Paul. Well done you, mate. And Dominic Diamond goes, Edel is the winner. I was like, was he? And I watched the end back a couple of times, and it wasn't until I went back to the start of it that I realized that, yeah, there's just this huge production snafu. In hindsight, because I made the same mistake as you, it is obvious that Edel is the one kicking ass because, yeah, Paul said, I suck at beat-em-ups. So he was pretty much destined to suck at this game because he starts off the fight by being frozen by Edel. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Edel on this, actually. He's proper good at this game. I mean, he certainly knows at least that one move and he knows the wind-up punch move as well. Because the other thing that's been said about Primal Rage is that while it was popular with kids and it was like a very much an attraction based thing because it was dinosaurs and and you know these mythical creatures fighting each other and that's really awesome 
fighting fans didn't particularly like it because the the inputs to do special moves were too hard. So one of the things I actually had planned simplified for Primal Rage 2 was to move it to be a bit more Street Fighter friendly. You know, Hadoukens and this, that, and the other. That's not there in Primal Rage 1. So the fact that he can do two special moves is really, really good. And he does use those special moves to essentially apply the Sub-Zero Gambit, which is freeze and uppercut, because that first freeze is accompanied by a punch up the bracket. It's a, it's a book quite close this first round, though, because as much as Edel is throwing out the, these Blizzard attacks, Paul is scrapping his way through this, just getting in some little like nips and bites and tail whips here, there and there. And like he does whittle down his health bar to the point where I was like, he may take this first round. In the end, Edel does. But when we get into the second round, holy heckins, this is pretty much one-way traffic. It's just freeze, bosh, freeze, bosh. He's so into the freeze that he throws a freeze out before the lads even got up. Like uh, Most of the time that Paul dodges the freeze, it's because Edel's throwing him at the wrong time. Paul is all punches and kicks again, and it's not good enough. Edel wins. It was very one-sided in that second round. Absolutely. And Edel was doing a cheap tactic, but it's a tactic that works because if you throw something like a freeze projectile or indeed any projectile in a fighting game, you can either try and block it or you try and jump over it. If you jump over it, you're probably going to have to jump towards your opponent, which leaves you open for an attack. And that is exactly what happened. Paul would dodge the freeze attack by jumping up and over, maybe trying to land a kick, but it wasn't enough because Edel had a longer reach. Yeah. Because, you know, dinosaurs, short arms, apes, big arms. That's how it works. And so he would be able to punch him out the air. And in fact, when he wins this, it's because he freezes in midair and again, just punches him out the air. It goes back to that player data that Atari Games found about this game, which is just that the, the, the players chose Chaos and Blizzard because they were the easiest ones to play. They were the most comfortable characters to play as for those very reasons. Okay, now, Paul, if your performance was a bag of crisps, what flavour would it be? Probably plain because I couldn't get my special moves pulled off. Very good answer. I was going to say empty bag. <laughs> Edo. If your performance was a bag of crisps, which flavour would that be? Um, hot curry flavour, because it's hot like my performance in a sharp taste. Very good, but I think Paul's is actually slightly funnier, but unfortunately, Paul, that's the only reward you'll get because the golden judge that goes to Edo! In the post-match, Dom is asking the burning question that's on all of our minds. If Paul's performance was a flavour of crisps, what would it be? And Paul says plain because he just couldn't pull off his special moves. Now that is a great answer. Really, really, really good answer. Boy, I sure hope that Edel's got a very good answer as well. Hot curry, flavour, spicy, something. Dude, you were the freeze-based character against the spicy hot character. Don't be using your hot and spicy things around here. And Dominic Diamond basically just goes like, yeah, no, Paul's was funnier. Just <laughs> absolutely buried him along the way. You win the joystick, but Paul's got the future in comedy. You don't. That's it for another show. I'm off to tell kids at boarding school that their parents hate them. See you next time. Bye-bye. And that will bring us to an end of this episode. That was a great ending line. It was a great line, but what was even better was how he signed off the show. See you next time. Aha, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never mind Biffo getting it into EastEnders. Dominic managed to get a See You Next Tuesday in. Probably could have done that as well, because we're still airing on a Tuesday night. Did he know that when he was recording it, though? Yeah, I suppose he probably didn't have it confirmed, maybe. Just play it safely. Play it safe. 
you still get your four-letter word in. But that was a Bobby Dazzler of an episode. That was a lot of fun and had some great challenges. Yeah, really good challenge. The Celebrity Challenges isn't great. Uh, certainly not as good as last week's one, but the two challenges at the, at the top and tail of it are really, really good. I loved the Road Rash Challenge. Really enjoyed the Primal Rage Challenge. The Review Zone was fascinating because we had Shaq Fu in there and, and Michael Jordan's Chaos and Windy City and some, you know, pretty good in Consultation Zone. It's fun to always see Dizzy. But like, I, I kind of dig the new format. I like the news that we got about Mortal Kombat 2 and the Imaginator and the feature we got on Primal Rage at the end there. So there's there's so much in this episode to like that a lousy celebrity challenge and a not that great consultation zone isn't really going to knock you down very far. What is going to knock it down for me a bit? And this feels a little mean, but eh, it's the era of Grumpy Dominic, so I'm going to be grumpy as well. That production cock-up at the end actually really dragged me out of it because I was in a really good mood when I was watching this up until that point. And then the fact that I actually had to stop and reassess who was who because they got the names the wrong way round. It did sour it a little to me because, again, the first time I watched it, I thought Paul had won. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. This is great drama. This is an upset. You know, this is the underdog tale. Oh, no. They got the names the wrong way round. Yeah, what we actually had was the guy that was good at beat-em-ups was good at the beat-em-up. So I did like the episode overall, but despite the top quality crisp banter at the end and the sneaking in of a four-letter word, that, that last challenge, and also a great game on the last challenge, that technical cock-up did sour it a little for me. What are you thinking percentage-wise? I am. Um, it, it's it's funny, really, because like it's it's a really good episode, but I don't think it's in the '90s brackets. It's that that feels like I want to save that '90s bracket for an the episodes that really, really do like blow me away or I have an absolute ball with. What I had here was a really fun time. So I'm going mid '80s, but I'm not going. Much, I'm probably going to go 86. percent I think. Interesting, because I feel like I'm a bit harsher on that technical snafu than you are. But I was actually going to go with 88. Oh, really? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, because we're seeing Primal Rage in the arcade. We get some really nice featurettes. We get the great reviews, which are just fascinating to talk about. I mean, I was on a podcast that ran for nearly an hour talking about Chaos in the Windy City uh, because it's that kind of weird game. I had a lot of fun with it. And actually, Dom, Dom was what made this episode to a degree. He's sharp. He's zesty. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, he is really, really good on this. And like it is the the different flavor of crisps that we have got here uh, of hosting styles from Dominic Diamond, um, from Dexter Fletcher to Dominic Diamond here. I, I do like to see it and I've, I'm actually really enjoying this change. But I think that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so, so much for listening. You all rule each and every single one of you. If you want to find us on social media, we're at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram. You can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to interact with us in real time, talk with us, talk with other listeners of Under Consultation about Under Consultation, Games Master, retro games, films, television, cheese a new YouTube magazine series that's apparently about to start called Wargame Master. Mm. I mean, I hope Future don't hear because they can be a bit panicky about that kind of thing. There's a reason we kept the name out of uh, out of the main title of our show. But if all of that appeals, you can join our Discord, details of which 
can be found on our social media or in the show notes. And if you like this episode and you thought, oh, I wish I could get another episode like this, but talking about other shows from the 90s like Fun House, Nightmare, Finders Keepers, Earthworm Jim, Press Gang, well, you can sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash under console pod to get access to UCP Extra, where we do go through those sorts of shows in this exact same style and you'll also get access to our monthly community show under console nation where we basically just chat the breeze for an hour and a half live on youtube every single month and it's available uh, on demand after that and if you're back at the five pound level you get next week's show one week early and ad free and if you're back at the 10 pound level you get a little bit extra ash what do they get oh at the 10 pound level they get our patreon pack which includes a patreon exclusive mug stickers badges Retro Sweeties, Retro Trading Cards, and £5 off our first Under Consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, stickers, and badges at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean Hannon, Sean Dunn, Robert, Rich, Pink Lithium, Nick, Misha, Matt, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon Dempster, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin, Cliff, Alexis, Adam Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days time for episode three of series four. Take care, everyone. Good night. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.